Just by a show of hands really quick, how many people were at work or at class today? All right, so basically everybody. So guys, we've been going through this series called The Grind where we are talking about and we're thinking about all the way through these, this thing that we do almost every single day uh, called work. And actually the average American, um, if you kind of add up how many hours you spend at work, the average American spends more time at work than they do at home, than they do with their families, than they do with their friends. You spend more time working, you spend more time on your grind than you do anywhere else. So uh, to give us a little bit of traction to kind of where we're going tonight, I want to tell you guys a story, or really uh, I want to challenge you guys to try to think about something. But um, remember when you were a kid uh, and you kind of had like this, this fear, like sort of this irrational fear, like at some point in your life uh, that you came up with, um, that your parents and you kind of had to work together to address, like maybe you became afraid of being by yourself, or you became afraid of the dark, or you became afraid of whatever it was. So in order to kind of cope with that, in order to kind of deal with that, uh, you might have tried a few different things. If you're afraid of the dark, you might have got this thing called a nightlight, a nightlight. And you put that nightlight on, shines the light in there, it's fine, it keeps everything bad away as long as the nightlight is on. Or maybe uh, you guys might have done something else, like uh, you may have had that favorite stuffed animal um, that just brought you so much safety and so much security, and you cradle that stuffed animal, and as long as you held on to that, you felt safe. Or maybe uh, you guys might have been like me, who I, what I like to do is construct what's called a pillow fort or a blanket fort. Anybody in here know what I'm talking about? You know, you, you, flip, you flip the cushions up, uh, you know, you put the blanket over it, you get everything just right, you get inside that fort, impenetrable impenetrable. Nothing is more safe than being inside the pillow fort. Like it's the safest place that you can be, and it would protect you from whatever these fears are that you had. Now, I want you guys to try to imagine, like as an adult, you might still have some of these similar fears, but I want you to imagine trying to address that in the same way. Like just imagine for a second, you have this stuffed animal, and then someone breaks into your house, there's an intruder into your house, and then the intruder comes around the corner, and you're like, hey, this is lamb lamb. The intruder's like, I'm out. That's lamb lamb. I can't come. I can't come against lamb lamb. You know what I'm saying? Like, imagine that. Or imagine, you know, whatever it is you're afraid of. Maybe you're afraid of monsters under the bed or in the closet or something like that when you're a kid. But just imagine, like, now you're trying to hide in your blanket fort, and then Pennywise the clown comes walking in, and he's just like, oh, blanket fort. Like, can't, can't do anything about that. Like, I got to go. Like, Guys, we, when we were kids, like, we gripped onto these things. We gripped onto these things because we thought that it brought us security. We thought that it made us feel safe. And we gripped onto those things because they made us feel safe. And, and, and really what they did was they gave us a false sense of security. Because a, a pillow fort can't really do anything against someone who's going to break into your house. Lamb Lamb can't actually protect you from something that is trying to hurt you or to injure you. But what it did was it gave us this false sense of security. And hey, you might not be a little kid anymore, and you might still feel like you need that sense of safety, that sense of security. And I think what we think often brings us that same sense of safety is probably our direct deposit. Like, it's our paycheck. Like, it's the money that we have like that. Like, as long as we can have money, like, we kind of feel safe. We kind of feel secure in the world. Like, as long as we can continue to have money and we can have the stability, like, I, I, I'm less afraid. I have a better life. And, and we begin to look at these little pieces of paper that we get for performing an action every day. And we start to look at those things to say, hey, the more of this I have, the safer I am. 
And just like that pillow fort gave you a false sense of security, I think when we start to look at money, it can give us a false sense of security, it can give us a false sense of value, it can give us a false sense of identity, and then when the ways of life come crashing against us, how often do we think, like, man, I'm going through a hard time in life, and what I really need right now is I need more money, or I need to get a raise, or if I could just find some way to get more capital, or maybe if you've ever thought, man, if I could just win the lottery, if I could just hit the lottery, then all of this would go away, and I would finally feel safe, and I would finally feel secure, and I would finally be free to do whatever it is that I want to do, and tonight I think what Christ is challenging to think about us is this, is that our core desire, our core desire in financial stability is probably, honestly, the feeling of wanting to feel secure, of wanting to feel safe. But what I believe tonight is when we look at this, when we take a deeper look at money, we take a deeper look at our paychecks, is that it actually can't bring us safety. But it can only bring us sort of this false sense of safety. And as we talked about last week, when, we, when we're in this grind, when we're going to work all the time, and it can kind of become monotonous, and we can feel like, man, this is hard, and I feel like I'm wasting my life on this. Like, Honestly, probably what keeps you going back to work most days is you need that money. Like, you got to be able to survive. Like, you got to be able to buy food. You got to be able to pay the bills. You got to be able to pay your debt. Like, honestly, most of us in here, if we weren't getting paid to do our job, we're not showing up tomorrow at 9 a.m. So, we start thinking about this and, and we have to look at, man, like that core desire that core desire to feel safe, like that can distract us and that can get us off track for what God made us to do. It can get us off track from being able to discern and feel out what our purpose is supposed to be, from being able to do everything that God made us to do. Yet, that core desire remains. Even if we change our perspective, even if we change our mindset, even if we get our minds right about this, every single person in here, you still have that desire. I need protection. I need safety. I need security. So the question becomes then, where do we go to for that security? Where do we go to? Because I don't want a false sense of security. I want something that's real. I want something that's authentic, something that's going to work. So before we go any further tonight, I want to invite you guys to pray with me because I think God has something so powerful to show us tonight. Lord, thank you so much for who you are, God, that you are our great defender. God, that you are our protection. God, you are our safety. You are our refuge. You are where we can go to, God, to receive all of these things, Lord. And I pray tonight as we open your word, God, as we look at what you spoke through Solomon thousands of years ago. God, I know that you preserved this social experiment in life. I know that you put this in the Bible, God, that you preserved this so that we might learn from it. God, so that we might have an example that we can look to, God. So I pray tonight as we open your word, Lord, I pray everyone in here would be open to you changing us, would be open to you changing our lives, changing our mindset, changing our perspective. God, we're here for you. Lord, we love you. Lord, I pray that I would step out of the way. God, I pray even right now in this moment, right now, that I would decrease so that you would increase in me. God, I pray that you would speak through me, God, that I could just be a tool in your hands. We ask this in the power of Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, so here's what I want you guys to do is flip open to uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And uh, I just want to say before we read tonight, if you're here tonight and, you know, if you don't believe and follow Jesus, uh, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. This is a place that I really believe that you can belong. I believe it's a place that it's safe to ask questions, that it's safe to have doubts. 
And uh, maybe you're in this room and you're, you're like, hey, I'm not really sure if I do follow Jesus or not. I kind of do. I kind of don't. Like, hey, I want you to know I'm glad that you're here too. And I believe that those questions of security that I just talked about, I believe whether you believe and follow Jesus or not, whatever side of the aisle you find yourself on, I really believe those core feelings are true for you too. Like you have those desires to feel secure and you have those desires to want to be protected and to want to be safe, whether you realize it or acknowledge it or not. I think you feel all those same things. So what I'm inviting you to do tonight is just consider what Christ is saying. Consider what Christ is offering to us tonight. So uh, before we even kind of get rolling with the text, I want you guys to write something down for me. So this is the first thing uh, that we're going to be talking about tonight is what money will not do. What money will not do. So if you're taking notes tonight, that's your first note. If you're not taking notes tonight, we're going to pray for you after the service is over that you might become more holy and start taking notes. So guys, flip open, like I said, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10. If you're not familiar with the Bible or this part of the story, like I uh, just prayed a few minutes ago, um, this is a book written by a guy named Solomon. Solomon was the wisest man uh, that ever lived, but also he was the richest man that ever lived. And uh, if there's anybody in history that can teach us a thing or two about money. It's probably the guy who's had the most of it. In the entire course of history, nobody has ever been richer than Solomon. Solomon was the richest man on the planet when he was alive, and his income alone, just in gold, just what other kings and queens around him would tribute to him monthly, just in gold, he made like over a billion dollars a year just in gold. That's not counting everything else that he did as a king. That's not counting all of the land that his kingdom owned. That's not counting all of his assets, what we would measure today to measure someone's wealth. Solomon made billions and billions and billions of dollars. Solomon made more money than most of us in here, that in fact, none of us in here will ever see. If you're like one of those people that what you think about is like, hey, I've got to get that coveted, I need that six-figure income. You know what I'm saying? I've got to have that six-figure income. Listen, if you made six figures, if you made $100,000, you would make 0.01% of what Solomon made in one month. If you earned $100,000 a year, that's 0.01% of what this guy made in one month. If you accounted for inflation and you put Solomon's wealth in today's dollars, and you took the two richest guys on the planet, Jeff Bezos from Amazon, Bill Gates from Windows, you put those guys together, still not worth as much as Solomon is. Solomon had everything. He had everything. So if we're going to look, if we want to learn about how we should look at money, how we should look at wealth, I don't know if there's anyone who can speak more into it than Solomon. And let's look and see what Solomon writes. Let's start in verse 10. Talking about what money won't do. Solomon writes this, Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. So what good is wealth, except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers? People who work hard sleep well, whether they eat a little or much, but the rich seldom get a good night's sleep. There is another serious problem I have seen under the sun. Hoarding riches harms the Savior. Money is put into risky investments that turn sour, and everything is lost. And in the end, there is nothing left to pass on to one's children." We all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed as the day we were born. We can't take our riches with us. And this, too, is a very serious problem. People leave the world no better off than when they came. All of their hard work is for nothing, like working for the wind. Throughout their lives, they live under a cloud, 
frustrated, discouraged, and angry. So guys, tonight, here's a few things that money won't do. Here's a few things that money won't do. We're going to go through four of them. First thing, A, is it will not bring us happiness. Money will not bring us happiness. Earning more money will not bring us more happiness because whether you earn more money, it's never going to be enough money. And as soon as you get a raise, I guarantee you within a, a few days of you getting that raise, the first thing you're going to start thinking of is, man, I got to get the next raise. I got to hit the next pay grade. I got to hit the next rank so that I can get more money. It's never enough. What Solomon is saying is, hey, trying to get more and more money, it's like a spiral staircase that you start running up and you're running and you're running around it and around it and around it and it never ends. You just keep running. You just keep going up, hoping that it's going to be the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, but it never, never ends. And you guys know that that's true. Like, I want you to think back to when you got that first job, whatever that first job was, whether you just got paid, you know, 30 or $40 for cutting someone's grass, or you got paid, you know, 30 or 40 bucks for watching someone's children, or you did whatever task it was, and it was just a one-time payment that you got. And you got that, and you're like, man, this is awesome. I can't wait until I can earn a steady income. And then maybe you got that first minimum wage job, or you got that first job, and you started earning a little bit of money, and you're like, oh, this is great. This is awesome, but it's going to be even better when I get a real job, when I get a full-time job. And then some of us got another job, and we're working more hours, and we're making more money. And I guarantee you're still in that same mindset of, hey, if I could just get a raise, if I could just get a promotion, if I could just get more, then it's finally going to be enough. And it's not. Because at the end of the day, you still have that same mindset, and it's never, Solomon's telling us it's never going to be enough. You guys know uh, that Gallup World Research did a survey a while back. This is one of the coolest studies I've ever got to read, and you guys can Google it. You can look it up. It's on the Journal of Natural Human Behavior, but you actually have to search Nature Human Behavior to get it to pop up. But they did this research uh, where they surveyed 1.7 million people across 164 countries. So if you know anything about data collection, that's a pretty good sample size of people to survey. And they surveyed all these people, and what they found was they discovered that people who make sixty dollars to $75,000 a year are actually, they report that they are actually happier or just as happy as people who make $250,000 plus. Because more money will not bring you more happiness. It will not bring you more of what you desire for it to do because it will not do that. In fact, Solomon is saying that actually more money might make your life worse. It might make your life worse. So let's look at the second one. Money, the second thing money won't do is it will not make our problems go away. It will not make our problems go away. You guys have probably thought about this before. But Solomon said in verse 11 that wealth, it's a good thing. Maybe the only thing that it's good for is watching it slip through our hands is trying to work really, really hard to earn a bunch of income, and it's just, it seems like it's like trying to hold on to sand or hold on to water in your hands. It's just no matter what you do, it just keeps getting away. And the more you get, Solomon says, hey, the more money you get, the more people are going to try to come to you and try to help you spend your own money, trying to help you figure out what you need to do with it. And you guys know this is true, right? Like as soon as you get, uh, as soon as you get a bag, as soon as you get whatever it is, like someone comes along and like, hey, bro, can I borrow 100 bucks? Hey, man, can you cash at me $20 for this? oh, dude, I forgot my wallet in the car. Can you pick me up at Starbucks? Like, you guys know what this is like. Like, hey, man, like, I'm starting this new business. You want to invest in this startup? Trust me, like, you're going to get a good return on this. Like, give me some money to do that. And you know, like, some of you guys that work in business, like, you know what I'm talking about. Or you work in a business, or maybe you own a business. But as soon as your business starts going well, 
everyone in the company starts to get in an argument about what to do with the revenue, right? Like the people that work over in this department are like, hey, we need to take this revenue and we need to spend it on this. Or, or they work over here in this department and they say, hey, no, we actually need more help over here. And then people get in these arguments about, hey, this is what we need to do with the money. Because having more money, having more revenue is not going to make your problems go away. Solomon says they can actually magnify them. You guys know this. If you go out and you try to buy a house, you like finally get some money and you're like, hey, I'm going to invest this. I'm going to be smart with this. I'm going to put my money into a mortgage so I can begin to build equity so I can get my money back out of it later. And then you go to buy a house and it's like taxes everywhere. Like you got to pay taxes on everything. And then you got to get insurance for your house. You got to have fire insurance. You got to have flood insurance. And you got to have theft insurance. You got to have insurance if a tree falls on it. You got to have insurance if your neighbor's tree falls on it. You got to have insurance if a pack of feral hogs comes running through your yard. Like you got to have all this insurance, you know what I'm saying? And then you like look at your mortgage, you got to get PMI insurance. Like you got to get insurance for the thing, for the loan that's helping you buy the house that you got to have insurance for. Like you got to have insurance for everything. And then you're just like, Oh, and then you're, we haven't even got to the house yet. Then you got to start paying money on maintenance, keeping it worked up. Then you got to get the lawn taken care of. And you got to do all of these things. And it's just like, I was trying to save money. I was trying to be smart with it. And now I've just got all of these problems to deal with. Because more will not make it go away. Solomon says in verse 12 that the rich rarely even get a good night's sleep. Does that sound like a life with less stress and less problems to you? To where you literally are so worked up over it, you can't even sleep at night because you can't stop thinking about it. Let's keep going. Third thing, money will not make us more secure. It will not help us feel more secure. We can dump our money into investments. We can try to start businesses with friends, but they don't always turn out. It doesn't always turn out the way you want it to. Even if we do and we amass all this wealth and we just dump it into a savings account, we can still lose it. Like even if you get a ton of just cash and you're just like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to put it in a CD. I'm just going to put it in a savings account. I'm not going to spend it. It's just going to sit there. Like you guys ever heard of an economic bubble before? Like, most of you in here actually lived through the worst economic bubble we've had since the Depression in 2008 when the housing market crashed. And some of you guys in here, maybe your families lost their homes in that, or they lost a lot of resources they had, or they lost businesses, or they lost their job. It was a very bad thing because we had this huge economic bubble, and what that did was it caused our money to devalue. Like, all of a sudden, a dollar wasn't worth a dollar anymore. And I can remember in 2012... Uh, I, went to, I went to Europe, and uh, when you go over to Europe, you've got to change currency because they don't spend dollars over there. They spend euros, and the, the, the transaction rate uh, was like 1.11, 1.11. So it was like 1.11 euros was worth $1, so the dollar was now worth, worth less than a euro. So I've got this five-euro-dollar bill that I found in my backpack the other day, uh, and I looked it up because I was just curious how much this is worth now. So that was all the way back in 2012, four years separated from the housing market crash. Well, now we're in 2019, and now a $5 U.S. bill is worth more than a 5-euro bill. Why? Because now we're involved in a trade war. We're 10 years separated from that, and Britain is trying to secede from the European Union, Brexit. You know what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't matter. There's so much stuff every single day that you have zero control over. Zero. No control over economic bubbles, no control over international policy, no control over any of these things that affect the very value of your money that you have to spend to survive. 
So I'm just saying, amassing more wealth is not going to help you feel more secure. It's not going to make it more secure, and that is the point. The fourth thing, last thing is this, is money will not bring us more satisfaction. Won't bring us more satisfaction. Let's look at verse uh, 16 again. Solomon says this, and this too is a very serious problem. People leave this world off no better than when they came. All their hard work is for nothing, like working for the wind. Can there be anything that should get our attention or make us pay attention more than the fact that you might waste your entire life every single day that you spent working, and it was like throwing sand up into the wind, and that it just blows away? And that you leave the world and it is no better than when you found it and you leave the world with just as much as that you came into it, which is with nothing. Throughout their lives, they live under a cloud, frustrated, discouraged, and angry. Does that sound like a more satisfied life? No. But when we fall into the lie that money, wealth, possessions can satisfy us, This is exactly what we can expect. This exhausting race that we can never, ever finish as we try to search for fulfillment and continue to pursue it and continue to run after it, but all we can expect is exhaustion. Who would want that? Who would want that? So what you might be thinking in your mind right now is, okay, well, where do we go from here? Like, what is the answer? Because logic tells us this, like, hey, I hear what you're saying, David. Like, I'm picking up what you're putting down, but I still need money to survive. Like, I totally agree, but my rent is still going to be due on the first. And I, the Bible does not ignore the fact that we need resources for survival. So now the question that we need to ask, the second thing is this, is what should money do? What should money do? I'll tell you guys, whenever, uh, I remember whenever I first moved uh, off campus right after college, uh, went out and uh, bought some cheap furniture from Walmart. You guys know the furniture that comes in a box, and you're like, man, this looks so cool at the store. And then you take it home, and you uh, rip the box open, and you're like, not put together. And then you open up the instructions, and it's like 37 pages and like Japanese, and you're like, I don't know Japanese. Like, all right, I'm just going to go for this. And you start trying to put it together, and it's like super confusing how to put it together, and you need all these special tools, and you, like, you don't have the right tool. And here's what I learned from that experience is this, is having the specific tool, having the right tool for the purpose, man, that makes such a big difference. Because hammers are really, really good at driving nails into wood. You know what hammers are terrible at? Unscrewing stuff out of wood. Okay, you can use that hammer all you want. Like, that hammer is not the adequate tool to get that screw out of the wood. You need a screwdriver. You need a drill. You need something that can get in and grip the threads and work it out of the wood. Okay, a hammer is not going to do that. And we need to view money the same way. Money, the first thing, what we should do with money is this. Money should be viewed as a tool to serve others. We need to look at our money as a tool. But tools have specific purposes. And they need to be used for specific tasks. Acts chapter 20, verse 35 says this, coming on screen for you guys. And I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. So as believers, as people whose people 
whose lives have been changed by Jesus Christ, as people who live and walk and breathe the gospel, people who would say, I claim the name of Jesus, we work hard so that we can give to others. We work hard so that when we see a need, we can meet a need. So that when you get into deep relationships, when you get into these groups that we're talking about, when you get in tight with your church family, we don't need to worry. We don't need to look at all these other things for security because through what the Lord has allowed us to have, we can actually care for one another. Just imagine with me for a second. Just imagine being able to be involved in a community that so believes and so practices as long as some of us have some, none of us will go without. As long as some of us have food, no one will go hungry. As long as some of us have a roof, no one will go without a place to stay. Imagine being part of a community like that. And I want you guys to try to think, just try to think with me. I bet you can remember a lot of times in your life that you've received gifts. I'm sure you can remember Christmases, birthdays, Easter baskets. I'm sure you can think of just right now, your mind is just flooding, full of times you've received gifts, times people have given you things, all of those things. But I bet you can remember way more vividly. I bet you can almost feel that moment right now in your mind, those moments when you got to help someone who was really in need, those moments when you got to give someone a gift that really made a difference. I bet those memories are so much more powerful. I bet that they are so much stronger. Because the word is true. What Jesus is saying is true is it is better to give than to receive. This is where Christ wants us to look for our security, not in the things of this world, not in the things that, that we find ourselves working towards every day, but looking to Jesus, the Savior, the only one who can give us eternal security, and looking to the ways that he provides that th through the church, through us caring for one another. And those are the types of communities we should seek to build in our groups. Those are the types of things, those are the things that we should be looking for. Now listen, friends, do not take this passage and twist it and abuse it. Do not take advantage of other people's generosity just to stew in your own laziness. Remember the first part of this passage. First part says this, we help those by working hard, by working hard. So for those of us in here who are believers, this is a delicate thing that we have to try to keep in balance. This idea, this call that Jesus has given us to be generous, to care for one another, to look after one another, but at the same time, helping those who are in need, but not enabling them to become uh, or to enter a state of dependency to where they are no longer working for themselves. They're no longer doing what they're able to do, but instead they've just become dependent on me, and instead they're just stewing in their own laziness every day. Because listen, friends, I'm telling you, I've seen it, I've observed it. In the long run, sometimes we can do more damage than good by creating a state of dependency. And in the long run, that is not loving. And it ignores the other parts of Scripture where Jesus says, hey, those who have hands need to work. Those who are able to work should. We can't ignore those parts of Scripture either, but at the same time, we also cannot ignore Jesus' charge to us to care for those who are in need, to care for those who are in our community, to care for those who are in our groups, to care for those who are in our churches. And I'm just saying, church, what we have to do is we have to be wise. We have to be wise. 
and we have to be smart. So friends, exercise wisdom, test these things, seek community, talk to your community about it, and use wisdom with your generosity. Second thing that money should do is this, is it gives us a chance to invest in the future. Listen, you give to what you love. What you love, I guarantee, is where your dollars go. If I was able to uh, run a report on you guys' bank statements or your credit card statement right now, it would reveal to you what you probably love the most. Like if you love Starbucks, there's going to be a ton of charges for $5.50 for PSLs on there right now. Because Jesus said, hey, where your treasure is, your heart is also. So where your money goes, where you spend your money, that reveals that's what is most important to you. And I'm just saying you give to what you love. You give to what you love. And as believers, Jesus has called us to love the church. But just like anything in life, it takes resources to move the ball forward. It takes resources for us to be able to have a church, to be able to have these services, to be able to do what we're doing. Now, everyone relax. We're not going to take up an offering. I'm not about to shake you guys down for money. We've never taken up an offering on Tuesday night. We're not going to start tonight. All right. I'm just trying to interact with the idea of like, hey, this is where our money should go. This is where we should put it if we are believers. We should invest it in the future. We should invest it in our church. And we have to look at when we give money to the church, like, listen, I, I stand before you like, I'm probably the most guilty of this. As I've looked at, hey, when I give my money to these organizations, when I give my money to churches, when I give my money to all these things, it feels kind of like I'm just throwing it away. Because I don't always get to see where those dollars go. Like, hey, where did, where did my hundred bucks go? I want to know where my hundred dollars went. Like, what bill did that go to pay for? Like, what did that do to provide for somebody else? Like, I want to see the person over in Uganda that got fed. Like, I want to see a picture of them eating the meal. You know what I'm saying? And that's the wrong perspective to have. And we have to get out of this. We have to get out of this mindset of, man, when I kind of give my money to these organizations, when I give my money to the church, like, it feels like I'm just throwing my money away to the church. No, 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 no. Man, we got to see, we got to realize, we got to walk in. When I give to the church, I am investing in the most important mission that Jesus gave us to do. I'm investing in the gospel mission going forward. Listen, when you give every single student that gets baptized at camp, you had a part in that. Whenever you give every kid that comes here who's comes, coming out of a broken home, who's in a tough situation at home, who's scared, who's frightened, who comes here and begins to learn about the goodness and the kindness of God and learns that Jesus is the Savior, like you had a part in that when you give. Whenever uh, Last week we had a lady, 97 years old, 97 years old who got baptized. Like if you give, like you, were, you had a part in that. Like you had a part in that lady at the end of her race at 97 years old getting baptized. You had a piece in that, friend. Your investment made a difference. And I know what you're thinking. Like David, like that's easy for you to say because like you're on the receiving end of this whole tithing thing. Listen, I want you guys to know that myself and every pastor and every single person on staff, we tithe too. We give too, because we're never going to ask you guys to do something that we're not willing to do ourselves. So now I think the question becomes this. It's our last question for tonight. Is what should I do? What should I do? When I'm in my grind, I'm going week in, I'm going week out, I'm getting this money, what should I do with it? Three things, really fast. One, avoid debt. 
Avoid debt. Second, be generous. Three, seek contentment. Very simple. Avoid debt. Be generous. Seek contentment. It is very, very hard to serve others with your resources if you are up to your ears in debt. If you are belly up on a debt, if you're belly up on an auto loan, if you're belly up on a mortgage, if you're belly up on those things, it is very, very hard to serve other people until you get out of that. And when you're up to your ears in debt, I'm just going to go ahead and throw it out there like you're probably not living a happy life. You're probably stressed out and you're probably very scared every day. So listen, don't seek to live outside your means. Like every time Apple puts out a new phone, like they're putting out a new phone every year because they're trying to trap you, friend. Like they're like, hey, keep giving us your money. Like you don't need to get a new phone every single time that comes out. Like you don't need three sets of AirPods. You don't need to get a new Apple Watch. Like, hey, Black Friday is getting ready to come up here just in about a couple months. Like you don't need to go out there and buy seven TVs. Like you don't even have seven rooms in your apartment to put all those TVs in. You don't need to go take out a new credit card and you don't need to go do all those things. Like you need to seek to say like, man, how much do I make every month? How can I live within, within this? You don't need to go to Texas Roadhouse every single night. You don't need to go to Chili's ever, okay? <laughs> and I'm telling you guys, getting neck deep and trying to buy all these possessions and have all these things, like I'm telling you, it's not going to make you more satisfied. It's not going to make you more happy finally being able to have all this stuff. It's just not. And listen, Proverbs says the borrower is the slave to the lender. And as long as you owe, guys, I'm telling you, you owe. As long as you owe, you owe. And that part of your resources is locked up. If you have debt, you need to seek out how, I, how you can resolve it and how you can be more generous in life so that when you see a need that you can meet a need and what you might be thinking in this room right now is hey this doesn't really apply to me because like your boy's like super broke like I know what you're thinking like there's broke and then there's like super broke and then there's me you know like I got nothing you know what I'm saying I'm just saying guys I think what we forget about is we live in the richest country in the free world if you own a cell phone you are richer than 95 percent of the world's population And I'm just saying, it's no accident that God placed you here, that you were born here, that you came to this country, that you're here in this room tonight. God wanted you to be here. We have a great responsibility. God has given us a great thing to steward here in this place, and we are responsible for that. We are responsible for that. And the last thing, like I said, is seek contentment. Contentment is what Christ has given you. Jesus wants you to be content in what you do and what that you have so that you can be free from trying to be in this, hate, this grind, this hustle mindset that I just got to do more so that I can be better, do more so I can be better, do more so I can be better. Like Jesus wants you to be free from that. He doesn't want you to have to walk in that every day. So as the band comes forward, I want you guys to look and see how Solomon ends this passage, how he ends this teaching. This is coming on screen. If you're still open to Ecclesiastes, we're still in the same chapter. We're just going to pick up in verse 18. Solomon says this, Even so, I have noticed one thing, at least that is good. It is good for people to eat and drink and enjoy their work under the sun during the short life that God has given them and to accept their lot in life. It is a good thing to receive wealth from God and it is a good thing to enjoy health. To enjoy your work and to accept your lot in life, this is indeed a gift from God. God keeps such people so busy enjoying life that they take no time to brood over the past. Isn't that what we all want in life? 
In life, guys, listen, we all get a lot. We all get a lot. You get a certain amount of time here, a certain set of skills. You get a certain amount of money that you will earn in your life. It is a fixed amount. You have a fixed amount of time. You have a fixed amount of dollars that you will accure in your lifetime. That's your lot. So seek contentment in your lot. Don't be looking around like, man, I want his lot. Man, I want to have his paycheck. Man, I want to drive his car. Man, I want to have her house. Man, I want to have her family. I want to have her clothes. I want to have his watch. I want to have whatever it is. Man, seek contentment in your lot. That's what Solomon is trying to say is, hey, look, I cracked the code. Jesus showed it to me. Seeking contentment in your lot. So the question for us tonight, guys, is this. How are you using your lot? Are we looking at our stuff for our security? Are we looking to God? Because Jesus promises his believers will always be cared for if we trust in him for our security and for our provision, not in the things of this world, not in the things that we can earn. Or do we just look at our paycheck to give us more worth? Or do we look at our Savior to give us worth? Because listen, guys, I'm telling you, I don't think God cares if we have stuff. I really don't. I think God cares if your stuff has you. And I think that's true for most things in life. And I think that the problem is, is many of us in here cannot have stuff without it having us. We're just not there. Guys, listen. What made you secure as a kid, it wasn't the blanket for it. And it wasn't lamb lamb. It was the fact that your parents invested in locks on the doors and alarm systems and security systems. That's what made it secure. So don't look at your money like it's going to make you feel secure and it's going to make you feel safe when the real thing that can make you secure and the real thing that can make you feel safe is Christ.